are yet here, though we're saved and though we're prepared to go to heaven, there will be some days that are remaining while we are yet here. And while we are here, the Lord wants us to live a specific way in this life. And the and the Word of God is not just a road map to get to heaven, but an instruction manual on how to live while we're in this world. And this is a great portion of Scripture that gives us instructions for living from the Apostle Paul to the children of God. It's remarkable how much he says in so few words. These closing words of this epistle truly instruct us in daily living. And I want to give you five things this morning and a few things about these things, about what the Apostle Paul says through the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the way that God wants us to live. First of all, this morning I want to tell you that God wants the child of God to live joyfully. Verse number 16 says it to us, Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Many mock and laugh and lampoon and lambast and despise our rejoicing. They make fun of us for how we worship. They laugh at the way we praise God. They laugh at giving testimonies. They mock us for raising our hands and praising the Lord. They laugh at us praying while nobody's around and rejoicing in Jesus and getting carried away in the Holy Spirit and weeping and crying and laughing. Oh, but the Word of the Lord says don't let that stop you. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice anyway. Though the world may not understand it. Though they may laugh at it. Though they mock you for it. Don't let them stop your rejoicing. Don't let them stop your joy. Don't let them smother your worship. Rejoice evermore. And I'm just going to keep on praising till He comes, till He comes. Ain't nothing in this world worth turning around to see. My eyes are on the prize. That's a waiting me by and by and I'm just going to keep on praising till it comes. Praising and singing and preaching and living and worshiping and working. Not going to stop these things because it does not meet with the world and their ideas or concepts of what religion ought to be and what church ought to be. We have not met this morning at a mausoleum. We've met at a church house to worship the Lord. We've not met at a museum of what used to be. We've met at a place of worship to worship and honor and glorify the Lord. And church is not for a dead God and it's not for a dead people. He is the living God and He is the God of the living. And our worship ought to reflect that. If you cannot rejoice in Jesus, what can you rejoice in? If you can't rejoice in heaven, what can you rejoice in? If you can't rejoice in living forever, what can you rejoice in? Tell me why in the world anybody ought to be jumping up and down about anything if we cannot get excited about Jesus. I mean, if these fellows will go nuts and scream the goozles out at the football game because of some fella in a cow pasture with stripes, stripes lined up on it, toting a sack of air across the field, and they'll be screaming to their horse the next day they can't talk, and that they wonder why we get excited when we're going to live forever, and we're prepared for heaven, and all our sins are forgiven, and my soul is right with God and heaven is my home and I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Oh, we are to rejoice evermore. The child of God should live joyfully. Matter of fact, we ought not to be ashamed, not in the least ashamed at worshiping the Lord or rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, we ought to be ashamed that we've done such a poor job of it. We ought to be ashamed that we've done so little of it. We ought to be ashamed that we've been so weak on it. We ought to be ashamed that we've not done more of it. Amen. We ought to stop like the psalmist called recess and say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Oh, I'm telling you, friend, praise God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The child of God should live joyfully. We ought
other men. I want to thank you that I'm not a bride, one that has a sin and filth in my life. I want to thank you that I tithe and I serve the Lord and I fast and I'm so good and all. And I'm especially not like that old sorry publican over there. I'm so glad I'm better than other people. That's not where we ought to be at all this morning. And we ought to say thank you, Lord, for loving me as small as I am. I rejoice that you recognize me. I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Oh, praise the Lord. Our joy is centered on the Savior. Rejoicing mentioned here is not in the flesh, but it is not in our abilities. It is not in our wealth. It is not in our carnal successes. It is in the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 said, We are of those who have no confidence in the flesh. But Philippians 4 and 4 said, Rejoice in the Lord always and again. Verse number 9 of our text chapter this morning says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Why are you so happy this morning? Why do you rejoice so much? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you so rejoicing in Jesus? Because He died for me. Verse number 10 said, Who died for us? sleep, we shall live together with Him. I'm saved and on my way to heaven because of what Jesus did in my life. I rejoice always because of it. I rejoice evermore because of it. Our joy is centered on the Savior. Our joy is constant because of the Savior. In life and in death, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health, God is good. The Lord is good all the time. I'm not good uh, very often at all. I'm not good much of the time. Amen. My friends, surely not all of the time. But God is good all of the time. My friend, my rejoicing is in Him. I am up and down and in and out and on and off. But He is constant. He's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the Lord God and He changes not. In Him, and I live joyfully. I constantly, because of my Savior, He's always the same, always the same. And but you know, whenever, whenever this whole world faces things like Sister Ginger's family faces this week, I face this week, lots of them fall completely apart. And but I looked at Brother Larry on Thursday, and he smiled, big smiles. And whenever it came time that he said his final farewell in this world to the woman he'd soon be married to for sixty-four years, he he walked up to the casket, and I was standing there next to it, and he leaned over and did the casket, and I heard him say. Farewell now, honey. I'll see you real soon. I'll see you real soon. And you say, just calm down. Don't get too excited. I mean, don't get too carried away. Are you kidding me? I mean, friend, we ought to rejoice evermore. Our lives should be one characterized by joy and rejoicing. The child of God should live joyfully. I'm going to want to say secondly this morning, the child of God should live prayerfully. He said in verse 16, rejoice evermore. In verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. This is a perpetual state or mindset of prayer that has been the subject of many conversations. How are we supposed to pray without ceasing? Should we always be on our knees and... Skip out on going to work every day, stay in the prayer closet all the time. Jesus did say when you pray to not to be out in the street and not to be in the public place, but to go in your prayer closet. How should we leave out of public prayer? Should we skip off public prayer? How should we skip off a public life and just resign ourselves to some a place in the woods back under where nobody can see us and constantly humming and sitting yogi style and meditating? That's not at all what he's talking about. But it is this daily mindset of prayer. It is this perpetual conversation with Jesus that takes place in your life. It is this talking to the Lord as you go through your daily life and as you go through your walk. My little granny Hicks, when she'd sit down and uh, in the chair all day long, you'd hear her talking. And she was not talking to herself. She was talking to the Lord, just like he was sitting 
to her, carrying on a conversation and talking to the Lord Jesus. I mean out loud all the time. And people thought she was crazy. That's not the only reason they thought she was crazy. They thought she was crazy because she was so poor. And because she lived the way she did and because they didn't have anything. And because the clothes she wore were not only out of style, they never had been in style. They were things she made herself. Everything she wore was something she made for herself and the colors didn't match. And my friends, it didn't always fit the same way that it ought to. Oh, but she knew God. I mean, she had a relationship with the Lord. And she talked with Him every day. And sometimes she'd just be sitting there and say something like this. Oh, you want me to sing your song? And she'd set off and sing, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to your bosom fly. She'd sit off and sing, oh, come angel band, coming around me sand. She'd sit off and sing songs like, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. And the tears that streamed out her face, and jump off her chin as you see, raise them little trembling hands toward heaven. It's that perpetual state of prayer. Do you know what it is to ride down the highway by yourself and have a conversation knowing somebody else is in the car even though nobody else including you can see them? Do you know what it is to lay down on your bed at night? And you don't just have to worry. You can converse with the Lord. How wild the hot tears have stained your pillow. And down in your heart there's help and hope because you sense the presence of the Lord in your life. And you can talk to Him and He speaks to your heart. Do you know what it is to get down at a chair somewhere or another or maybe off by the rock altar and to my friend get a hold of the horns of the altar and pray through till heaven comes down and glory fills your soul and pray without ceasing this perpetual state of prayer. The prayerful Christian is a progressing Christian. My friend, we backslide when we get careless and we get prayerless. It's when we ignore Christ, His presence in our lives, and the things He seeks from us. That's when we backslide on the Lord. So long as you stay in prayer, you'll stay in progress. And you'll continue to move forward. My friend, we need to have a little talk with Jesus. And we need to do it real regularly in our lives. The child of God should live joyfully, should live prayerfully. We need to pray about the pressures we face. Financial, physical, societal, domestic pressures come on us. We can tell Jesus all about it. He can relieve the pressure. I think oftentimes about those air brakes on them dump trucks. Now, I don't know anything about trucks. I don't know anything about cars. I don't know much about a skateboard. Amen. Having things with engines on them are foreign to me. But I do know what it's like to be working out on the bridge pouring concrete. I do know what it's like to be out there tying steel or a lot of these other things and hear those big trucks come pulling up on the job site. And I guess it's air brakes that goes off and I hear it. When they get up on the job site they come to a stop and I hear and I know enough to know this much. Whatever it is that's doing that, something is letting off some real pressure. Amen. Something is a build up with air compression. And my friend, it is letting a lot of pressure off. You know what praying a lot of times is? It's when finances and life and sickness and troubles and the struggles and the ailments of the flesh come on us and burdens of grief tear our hearts all to pieces. And we finally get to a place to park. And we talk to the Lord. And God pulls a lever. And from heaven we hear... And He starts to take the pressure off of us. And give us some relief. That's what prayer can do for us. Amen. I'm glad I know what that's like. I know what it's... And to be, not only do I need to take it to Him, the pressures, but I need to take to Him the place where I function. I need to acknowledge to Him that this world is Satan's domain. And that Satan is the prince of the world. But when I acknowledge that Satan is the prince of this old world, I also am reminded that He, the Lord Jesus, is the King of kings. Our God outranks the devil. He outranks the world. He outranks the flesh. I 
and I'm a stranger here. I don't belong here. And Jesus tells me, you're right. But I'll help you to function in the place where you are. And your work, your daily life, your family, your personal stresses, Jesus knows about it. I can tell Him about the place where I am. I can talk to Him about the pressures I face. I can talk to Him about the place where I am. Hallelujah. And y'all ought to be proud of me. I've said it three times right, grammatically. The place where I am, I didn't say the place where I'm at. How about that? Y'all school teachers ought to give me an attaboy button when this service is done. The place where I am, I can tell them about it. And usually when I tell him, I don't get it grammatically correct. And he doesn't even mind. He doesn't even rebuke my poor grammar. He just says, I know where you are. Hallelujah. The child of God should live prayerfully. The pressure, take it to Him. Tell Him about the pressures you face. Tell Him about the place where you are. Tell Him about the person that you fear. The person that you fear. The one who you don't want to see down at Walmart. The one who you really don't want to run into and have to have a conversation about. That person who has mistreated you. Or maybe who has done you wrong. Or maybe that one who you know has it out for you. I would like to tear you apart. I would like to destroy you. My friend, and I know that spirit of fear is not from the Lord. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 tells us that. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. Jesus said, do not fear man who is able to kill the body, but fear God who is able to take and kill and destroy both body and soul in hell. Our fear is to fear the Lord, not to fear man. But we have oftentimes places and persons in our lives that we fear and we fear facing some things we fear facing some people and we fear having certain confrontations but I'm glad I can tell Jesus about that I've had times that me and my wife have talked about I don't want to go do this I don't want to do that because so and so might be there and I'd just as soon not see them and it's not because we hate them and it's not because we don't want to have anything to do with them it's because we really just don't want to deal with the trouble that will come from having to be where they are because we know it's going to happen. It always does happen. And so you know it's going to happen. And there are a couple of people, I know this will surprise you, all of you this morning, this will take you by utter surprise, but there are a couple of people that don't really love Brother Toby that much. And some of them don't really even like me that much. And there's a few of them would like for, I would like for it to never have to see me again. And to be real honest with you, some of them I wouldn't mind if I didn't have to worry about running into them again. But I'm glad I can tell Jesus about that. I'll not tell any of you who those people are because I'm not the kind of person who's going to do that. I maybe would have been at one point in life and God's helped me with that. And I wouldn't tell you who those people are. But God knows my heart. And I can tell Him about the persons that I fear. I can tell Him why that I'm afraid. I can tell Him why. And He can give me courage to face my fears. I don't care how you are this morning, how long you've been saved, how close you are to God, there are some things that you're afraid of. And Job was the greatest man in all of the East. And my friend, he was the greatest. God said he was perfect and upright and feared God and eschewed evil. And yet the Bible said that he said in his words, in Job 3 and 25, that thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. No matter how spiritual you are, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I won't say too much about this. I get going down this rabbit trail. I never get off of it. But I was telling the lady at the office this week, there's very little I'm afraid of. And I'm not afraid of facing people. I'm not afraid of, of confrontations. And, I, and I, I don't fight people. I just I don't get too worked up enough usually to fight people. There's just not much I'm afraid of except for raccoons. And I'm afraid of raccoons. I'm not, and I'm not, afraid of, I'm not afraid of snakes. And I'm not afraid of spiders. And I'm not afraid of Russians and, and, uh, and uh, t- rag-headed terrorists or anything else. I mean, that's all the things that may cause people to fear and to tremble, most of them just don't trouble me or bother me. Now I'm afraid of raccoons and so y'all make that whatever you want to. I don't like them. But with this spirit of fear we all have some degree of it. Maybe you fear failure. Maybe you fear falling out of your face. Maybe you fear getting old or sick or lonely or you fear solitude. You fear somebody breaking 
old daddy last night. He and I come back from a cow sale and I said uh, we were uh, reminiscing about old times and how crazy we had been at one time in life and so forth. And how uh, spoiled we are today, you know. And he and I were talking about the nice motels and things we've stayed at traveling over the years. And how that I told him, I said, well, Sonia and I have been married about six months or so over a year. I might have been 18 or 19 by that point. She was probably 17 or 18 years old. And we stayed at a nice motel one time up in the mountains. And we had gone from place to place to place, you know, trying to negotiate our best rate and so forth. I just stayed just sort of on a wild hair, jumped up on a Friday afternoon. I went to Pigeon Forge, didn't have any kids and so forth. And just, just jump up and run when there's just a couple of you. And we did that and we got there and was going from place to place looking for a motel room. And one we could afford, which meant it couldn't have been a nice room. And we went to this place and the fellow said, sure, we'll set you up. And I negotiated the rate and I felt so good about it. And he gave me a key and I said, now do I go to this building here? Or where do I go? And he said, oh no, sir, not this building. That one back there on back of property. And I went back there to that one on back of property. And it was like, a, it was like an abandoned building. And there was nothing in it and nobody staying in it. And the door didn't even have a lock on it. And it was shut, but it wouldn't lock. And we stayed there that night and he didn't work. It was in November, but we just wrapped up close to one another, held on to each other. And they stayed warm that way under the blanket. And my friend, the next night, though, we found a different place to stay. Sonia said, I ain't staying here another night. I don't care how good a value it is. And my daddy said he wouldn't have to worry about that with your mother, son. She wouldn't have stayed there the first night. She is scared of mice and she's scared of folks coming in on her. Hey, listen, everybody's got something that they're afraid of. Has some fear in their life. You can tell the Lord about it. Pray without ceasing. Let Him know. I'd keep my mouth shut when it comes to everybody else. Not tell everybody else what you're afraid of. Unless it's a raccoon, that's a completely rational fear. But just keep all the rest of it to yourself. But tell Jesus what it is that frightens you. And He'll help you. He'll help you. Amen. The child of God should live joyfully. The child of God should live prayerfully. Number three, the child of God should live thankfully. Look in verse number 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years I'm looking for the will of God. You just found part of it in verse 18. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is it you be thankful? Thanksgiving is not a day, but it is a command for the child of God. This Thanksgiving it is in all times and in all circumstances. Varied are the circumstances of life. You'll not have a life where you're always on the mountain. You'll not have a life where you're always dancing in the clover. You'll not have a life where everything will always be good. You'll not have a life where you'll never get sick and you'll never get tired and you'll never get old. These things are going to happen to everybody. If they live long enough, it's just a fact. Varied are the circumstances of life. There are good times and bad, but we can be thankful in everything. How we can give thanks in everything. How it is the will of God to give thanks in all the various circumstances of life. Second Corinthians 4 and 7 said it this way. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels. That the excellency of the power of God that may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side and yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. How varied are the circumstances of life. But when your circumstances vary into the good territory, praise God by the sunshine. And when the storm winds blow in your life, praise Him that He's the master of the sea and He's the maker of the rain. Hallelujah. I mean, trust God, my friend. And the my friend, thank Him in the good times and in the bad, in the varied circumstances of life. In everything, give thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't always thank Him for everything. Sometimes we probably ought to thank Him for the stuff that we don't want to thank Him for. 
Because some of the stuff we think are bad, God has a way of bringing good out of them. And without them, some of the good would never happen in our lives. And so we probably ought to thank Him for some of the bad things that we complain about. But even if you can't stand to thank Him for it, you ought to still thank Him in it. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's hard to thank God for cancer. Sometimes it might even be impossible in yourself, in your your flesh, to thank God for cancer. But if you can't thank God for it, thank God in it. It's hard to thank God for diabetes. It makes a mess of people's lives. But if you can't thank God for it, thank God in it. It's hard to thank God standing at the funeral home or sitting in the hospital. But if you you cannot thank God for it, thank God in it. It's hard whenever you have financial ruin to thank God for it. But if you can't thank God for it, thank God in it. You say, what am I going to thank God in it? thankful for, it's sometimes about who you're thankful to. I mean, I'm just thankful to God that He's got a plan for what I cannot see, what I don't know. That He's looking out for me. I can't see anything maybe in the present circumstance to thank God for, but I do have a God who is bigger than the circumstance. And it's not about what I'm thankful for, but who I'm thankful to. That makes a difference in those times. Hallelujah. Somebody said, this week, this very truth that I'm preaching about this morning. They started off singing at a funeral with mom who was leaving this world who had, had my friend been very sick and that this dementia had been for quite a long time and had been physically sick with a flu or something similar for the last several weeks and had struggled, I mean just for the last breaths of life, for nearly a week it was right at the point of death and it's physically draining for them and yet they start off a funeral singing when I look around and see all the good things God has done for me I know I'm unworthy of them all but I want to thank Him and praise Him I just want to thank Him and every song the second song they sung all about thanksgiving all about thanking the Lord all about praising God and as I sat up there amongst them flowers wiping my friends not off my nose and thinking these flowers are killing me the Lord said be thankful that somebody cared enough to send flowers listen to the singing we ought to give thanks in everything and give and everything. It is the will of God for us to thank the Lord. It's the will of God for us to be thankful. Varied are the circumstances of life. But listen to me. Valuable are the discoveries of life. And we don't find all of the valuable discoveries in the good times. We find them when we go underground. That path we talked about a few months ago. There is a path. That underground cave, that mine shaft, it's beneath the surface. It's dark. It's damp. It's solitude. But in there, there's a gold mine. In there, there are jewels uncold. In there, there are blessings from God. Oh, I'm so thankful for the valuable discoveries God gives me in the times when I can't see anything to be thankful for. He shows me things I didn't even know were there beforehand. I would have never noticed them in the sunshine. I would have never seen them in the good times. I would have never recognized them while life was well. But when He put me in a dark place where there was nothing else there, I could feel my way about and find things that I would have otherwise ignored. And I realized they are 
are jewels of grace. They are my thing glitters of glory. And I praise the Lord for the discoveries that He gives me in life. This is the will of God. When we're grateful in difficult circumstances, when we trust God in the storm, when the way seems dark and I cannot see, how but God walks with me, I discover things that are eternal treasures. The closeness that I have known with God in my darkest days is a treasure that helps me trust Him every day. Anybody have any idea what I'm preaching about? The child of God should live thankfully. Number four. The child of God should live spiritually. Now, I don't have but two left, so don't get real scared. We're going to get this thing done this morning. The child of God should live spiritually. Verse 19 and 20, or verse 18 and 19. Forgive me. Quench not the Spirit, verse 18. No, that's verse 19. I can't read my Bible anymore. It's faded on this page. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Our existence in this world is primarily spiritual, not natural. Quench not the Spirit. Don't smother out the Holy Ghost. Don't hate the preaching of the Word of God. Despise not prophesying. That's what that is. When God created man, He made him a living soul in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. I've been talking about this a lot in the last couple of years, but I'm going to say it again this morning. I don't know that any of us have really grasped what I'm talking about here today in this portion of the message. But man is not a body with a soul. He is a soul with a body. When God made man of dust and the ground and formed in His image and in His likeness, He was nothing but a corpse until God breathed in His nostrils the breath of life. And when man was made, God did not say, in essence, he is a body. He said, in essence, he is a soul. And man became a living soul. It does not say a man had a living soul. It does not say that man gained a living soul. But that man became. The essence of who you are is your soul. The essence of who you are is the inner man. Even the world knows this. They won't admit it, but they know it. Even the uh, even the atheist who claims not to believe God knows this. He'll say something like this. It doesn't matter who you are on the outside. What really matters is who you are on the inside. You know why, don't you? Who you are on the inside is your soul. Who you are in the inner man is who you are in that soul that God has put in us. This heathen world may have no idea how to get the soul saved or what the soul even is, but they know enough to know it's what's really important. And if a man were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what is he profited? I'm telling you, friend, what really matters is your soul. Man is primarily spiritual, not physical. You're not a body with a soul, but you're a soul with a body. Now along those same lines, we'll say it this way. Not only is man primarily spiritual, not physical, but we prioritize the wrong one. We spend most of our time taking care of this outward man that perishes, and yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We spend a lot of time brushing this guy's teeth, combing his hair. My friend, some of you women have got lights bright enough in your uh, in your bathroom to shine on your face to find every flaw. I tell my wife, don't turn that bright light on while I'm in the bathroom. I, when I brush my teeth and comb my hair, I want the dim light. So I'm afraid of what I might see in the mirror. If I was pretty as what she is, I might turn the bright light on. But I'm not. And the beauty shop ain't working on my behalf. And I still believe men ought to just age gracefully. I'm the like for these women to go to the beauty shop. But us men just age gracefully and take it like a man. So I fellow last night, I was not decided, I had not decided if he thought he was a wrestler from the 1980s or if he felt like his Fabio off of some romance novel. But he had his hair down about halfway down his back. And he had some sort of girly jeans on. And he had a cowboy bandana hanging out the back of his hip pocket like he thought he was wider. And if I said he had a beard that was one color in his hair, there's another color. Had a spiral permanent. I came walking around like a girl. Somebody like that is messed up. Is what's wrong with 
messed up. Amen. Mixed up to it and probably lost. Yes, sir. And I pray the Lord help him and save him. If a man gets saved by the grace of God, he'd get that mess cut off of his hair. Amen. He could have used a weed eater on his head. It's so messed up. I've never seen such a mess. Had to grow a beard, I guess, to prove his masculinity. What a haircut would have done the job. Amen. Amen. Lord, Amen. Me. I'm trying not to get too distracted here. <laughs> We spend so much time. I looked at. I thought on the way home, driving home from that restaurant. I thought on the way home. I reckon how much time he spent to look like that. How many looked like him? But I knew he spent a lot of time like that. Had his wife was sitting beside him, and her hair was as short as mine. Had she was dressed in a set of man's clothes. Had she looked like she just got off work down at the factory. Had he looked like about three fourths of a girl with a beard. Had she looked about like three fourths of a man without a beard. How did she might have had a beard? I don't know, but if she did, she shaved it. And I thought how confusing this whole thing is. And all that time he had to spend to try to look like this. You know what we'll do? We got all our priorities messed up. When a person's lost, they think this guy here is the only one that's important. But if you know the Lord, the way God wants us as children of God to live is to realize the important person is the one down in here. Y'all listening to me this morning? We spend all the time bodily exercise profit. Little, it'll do you a little good. Get on the exercise bike, do some push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, run around, all that stuff. That'll do you a little bit of good. You really want to help the fellow in here. Get in the Word. Get on your knees in prayer. Spend some time. Focus it on this man in here. He's more important. Then this God here is. Man is primarily spiritual, not physical. Today you can run here and there and go to every plastic surgeon. Have your face injected with Botox. Do you look like a mangled up mess like some of these Hollywood people do? Have a bunch of freaks. You can't color your hair. You can't have things cut off and put on and cut in and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, when it comes down to the end of this day, we feel little long enough we're all going to have it all in one way or another when they die. And what's going to matter to you is not this scale that we leave behind, but the man is down on the inside. This is the person that's going to matter. Yes, Lord, help us. I praise the Lord. Back to a previous point just a second. But I thank God for two hands to raise, feet to walk on, a mind to understand. I'm thankful for a body that's still in physical and good enough shape to be able to do things, to work around the house, to have a mind enough to do my work every day. I'm thankful for the condition of my body. It's better to be well than just to be sick. But when it comes right down to it, I'd rather be missing limbs. I'd rather have all the hair fall out. I'd rather my friend be sick in this body. I'd rather age before my time. I'd I'd rather be right full of that. I have diabetes and heart disease and cancer. Yeah. That's what I have for have my soul yeah. right with God. That's what I have for my body to be in tip-top condition. Yeah. I have to have any condition. Yeah. I'm not being ready to roll the runway condition. Yeah. I have to be inside the ugly. Yeah. I have to be right with God. Yeah. I have to be lost. Yeah. I have to be away from the Lord. Yeah. I want the man on the inside to know God. Everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? This God down in here is the one that's important. Amen? And so the spiritual man, he says in here, quench not the Spirit. That Spirit here is capital S. That is when the Holy Spirit is working with your spirit. Don't smother Him out. Amen? Oh, my soul, help us. I am not a human being having a spiritual experience. Now that I'm saying I'm having a spiritual experience, a spiritual experience or nothing, I am a spiritual being. I'm not just having a spiritual experience. I have to have a spiritual experience to notice that you're here for a little while doing that for a little while, that this experience is going to end. My life for God is not a spiritual experience. It is a spiritual existence. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. My human experience is for a little while. My spiritual experience is forever. Are you listening to me? I don't know if you're getting that or not. This body's going back to the dirt from whence it came, but the Spirit under God who gave it. 
quench not the Spirit when God the Holy Ghost wants to work with your spirit. Don't refuse Him. Don't smother Him out. Verse 19, the Spirit of God is a fire. John came baptizing with water, but one who is greater than him would baptize with fire. And with the Holy Ghost. And John said his fan is in his hand. He desires for us not to smother out the fire of God, but to fan the flame. On Pentecost, the Spirit fell on them as cloven tongues of fire. As sitting on each one of them, do not quench the fire. Do not smother out God's work in your life. God wants to do something in your life, let Him do it. I wanted to shout so bad I couldn't stand it. Well, why didn't you? Hey, have people tell me that all the time. I just wanted to raise my hand. I was so excited, preacher. I just wanted to raise my hands and praise the Lord, but they didn't. You wanted to raise your hand and praise the Lord. Why didn't you raise your hands and praise the Lord? You know why, don't you? Somebody might have seen you. You think the spirit man's worried about somebody seeing him? No. This guy here's worried about that. We prioritize the wrong thing. Quench not the spirit. Some of you, and I'm going to get to this in just a minute, but some of you would live right if you were not afraid somebody might notice it. You dress right, you talk right, you act right, but you wouldn't fit in. You're afraid somebody will realize you're a Christian. You're afraid they might notice that you are one of them. That you're a fanatic, that you've gone overboard, that you've identified yourself with the old time church, and you're afraid that would embarrass your flesh. You, they would embarrass you if everybody knew how, how much you really love Jesus. It embarrass you. Helping them to see you worship the Lord, it would embarrass you. Have to be the only one who was dressed modest. It would embarrass you to be the only one who tried to live right. It would embarrass you to be the one on the job that was not laughing at the dirty job. It would embarrass you to be the only one who didn't drink when they had their social. It would embarrass you. But I'll tell you, my friend, you're living for the wrong man. You prioritize this guy out here instead of that one down in here. Everybody listening to the preaching this morning? Yes, sir. Full of the Spirit is the way God wants us to live. Quench not the Spirit. We are to be filled with the Spirit. Not only should we not smother Him, we ought to get completely out of His way. Amen. Amen. Oh, my, my. Full of the Spirit in verse 19. That's how God wants us to live spiritually. Hungry for the sermon in verse number 20. Despise not prophesies. Preacher, I wish you'd hurry. I'm getting done. That's not the way God wants us to live. Despise not prophesying. Matthew 5, 6. How blessed is he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled. Those who hate the preaching, it is of no doubt or uncertainty. My friend, it's just unbelief and willful refusal of the Word of God. They hate the preaching. That's a sad thing. I looked last night to just see if I could find it. There are only two times in the Bible where the phrase is exact that says, I hate him. Are y'all listening to me? That ought to caught somebody's attention. There are only two times in the Bible where the phrase is exactly, I hate him. And it's the same fellow who said it. It's recorded twice. And his name was Ahab. And he did more to make God angry than anybody else who ever lived. And you know who he said he hated? The preacher. He told Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat said before we go to war, said, is there not a man of God that we could hear besides these? He said, I've heard from all of these so-called preachers, but they ain't no good. And I want to hear from a real preacher. Is there not a real preacher around? He said, there is one real preacher, but I hate him. I hate him. And he didn't say I hate him because he preaches too loud. And I don't like the hacking and the stomping and the snorting. He said, I hate him because of what he preaches. All he does is tell everybody how evil I am. How wrong everything I've done is. He speaks bad of me and I don't like it and I hate him. You know what Jehoshaphat's answer was? Jehoshaphat's answer was says, Let not the king say so. Don't talk like that. 
You ought not to feel that way about the man of God. Is everybody listening to me? I'm in agreement with Jehoshaphat. Thank God for the preacher who told me of Jesus. For I'd be a beggar if not for His grace. Hallelujah. I hunger to hear the Word of God. i got to finish. i got to finish preaching. One last thing and I'm done. I promise you I'm not going to hold you more than two or three minutes at the most on this one. The child of God, there's a whole sermon here. The child, but I'm not going to preach it all. The child of God should live righteously. Verse 21, 22, we're finished. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. The God of, and the very God of peace shall sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The inspiration saying right, uh, rightly and accurately in that this generation we have traded what is right for anything goes. And it does matter how we live. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. It does matter how we live. It does matter what we do. It does matter how we dress. It does matter what we say. It does matter the places we go. It does matter the attitudes that we have. It does matter the church that we come to. It does matter that we come to church and how we come to church. It does matter how we worship. It does matter that we tell the truth. It does matter that we are honest in our business dealings. It does matter how we conduct ourselves. Our lives testify to this world and Jesus and people who do not care how they live are either unsaved or they're so bad sin they don't care what their lives say about Jesus. And if you think it does not matter what you do or how you do it this morning, you're in trouble with the Word of the Lord. Two things in this. Be active in all holy things and abstain from all appearance of evil. Is that not what the Scripture says? Be active in all holy things and abstain from all appearance of evil. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The preaching you hear, test it. That is, be a doer of the Word. Take the challenge of God's Word. Put it in practice in your life. Prove these things. Field test them. And the Word of God will pass the test. When Satan and the world mocks you for obeying God's Word, don't quit. Hold fast. If you know to do good and you do it not, James 4 to 17 says that to you it is a sin. Be active in all holy things. Verse number 23, He said, In the very God of peace, sanctify you holy, completely, in every area of your life. Your whole spirit, soul, and body, everything. And then abstinence from even the appearance of evil. If even looks wrong. Yes, sir. Amos 5 and 15 says, hate the evil and love the good. I'm going to read you what Clark's Bible, Bible commentary said about this verse. And Sister Tanya, if you want to come with a song, I'm finished preaching. Sin not, and avoid even the appearance of it. Do not drive your morality so near the bounds of evil as to lead even weak persons to believe that you actually touch, taste, or handle it. Let not the form of it, that is the appearance, the idios, appear with or among you, much less the substance of it. You are called to holiness. Be ye holy, for God is holy. I'd have preached that, but I couldn't find any way to say it any better than Adam Clark did. I wish I'd have said that first. I'd have claimed it. There is a call of the child of God pointing us the way that the Lord wants us to live. I want my life to be a light shining out through the night. May I help struggling ones to the fold. I want my testimony to reflect well on the Lord Jesus. I want lost humanity to see the love of Christ in me. We must not seek to fit in with a condemned generation. But God help us to let the light shine that men may see Christ in us and change time and eternity. There are saved people here this morning. You're not living right. You're not living right. And you know you're not living right. This morning, instead of getting a stiff neck or a hard head, Or instead of ignoring what's just been preached and just walking out of here and pretending it never was sounded, you ought to act on what God's put into your heart. Everybody stand. I've preached what the Lord's put on my heart. This practical stuff, it gets in where we live. It gets up under your fingernails. 
It'll get down deep in your life. But it'll make you a witness for the Lord Jesus. Oh, I beg you this morning, if you're not right with God, if you're not living right, find a place in this altar and get things right. Sing for us when you're ready, dear sister. Folks are praying, others need to pray this morning. God knows in my heart I had to pray a lot about what I preached here today. I want to do right for God's glory.